that. So go ahead and bump elbows with your neighbor. Let's go to God in prayer. Father, we thank you. We can come before you now. Ask your blessings on this Sunday because, Lord, we stand at a moment here at the end of this year that you are preparing us. You're giving us exactly what we need to enter this new year with, Lord, with all the mess going on on the outside in our society and in our world. God, we've got to be plugged into you. Uh, We have to be connected to you. We have to be your instrument where you place us in our society, in our school, on our job, in our family, so that you can use us because the time is so short. So be with us today to discover exactly how we can do that. We ask it in Jesus' precious name. Amen. Thank you. You may be seated in the Lord's presence. And so we've taken this uh, series on worship, and we started that some time ago. And actually, we've only had eight sessions uh, looking at the topic of worship uh, from the Bible. And so this is going to be the uh, last one, and I'm going to wrap it up and tie it up with a bow because I want to nail down for you uh, exactly what it is, how it is, and you know maybe one of the most important elements and most important things, since worship is one of the most important topics in the Bible because well, the whole purpose of salvation is for God to gain a kingdom of worship, then what is it that is the key thing that really comprises worship for us? Living in a day when there's no temple, physical temple to go to, no physical sacrifices to bring, what is it that comprises worship? One central feature is the element of prayer, and that's our thesis for today's study. Prayer is the indelible mark of personal worship because a person who prays together stays together, And so let's get the definition down because a lot of people think prayer is my human way to manipulate God to get him to do what I want. And that's how I use prayer. So I'm saying that many people today have a defective definition of prayer because they limit prayer to God give me what I want. Is is the emphasis of your prayer, is its main concern what God wants, not what you want. I think much of our prayer time is taken up in asking God to bless our plans, bless our programs, uh, give us our needs. But let me hit you with the definition. Prayer, all prayer is a plea. And it's communicating with God in desperate dependence by faith so that you can glorify him in this life. I was talking with you know, a young man after the service, this last service, and... I don't know, prior to this, I forget how long ago, he had been in hospice care, and now here he is coming in service, and he's here, and, um, you know, still limited in, in what he's able to do, and it's like, well, why am I still here? And at the bottom line, the answer is, if you're here at all, you are here to worship. Uh, you are here to worship, and so God is the audience, God is the object of my worship. Prayer is me pleading with him, recognizing <coughs> my desperate dependence So in order to pray and to really understand worship, you've got to understand relationship. Proper communication demands a proper understanding of relationship. And so if prayer is a plea, then that says something about the nature of the communication that prayer is supposed to be. 
So I want to start off by giving you what I think is the most important points um, so that we, you make sure you get it because I'm going to argue everything else today from there. There are two features of prayer. I'm going to phrase it this way uh, from our modern experience in these times so you understand it. Number one, there is an encoder. And that is someone who takes the data and sends it across the air and presents it. And then at the other end, there is a decoder of prayer, someone who receives that presented data. So God was all about wireless encryption before humans ever thought of it. And I understand these are going to be new concepts to some of you, but I can't describe this element of personal worship without seeing how the whole Trinity is involved in prayer. So the Father is the one who hears and ultimately answers our prayer, but the Holy Spirit on one end and our high priest, the Lord Jesus on the other end, are the encoder and the decoder of that operation. So the Holy Spirit prays for us while Jesus prays with us, and the Holy Spirit presents data, even when that data is outside of our cognitive control. And then Jesus Christ, acting in his exalted, ascended state, now is our high priest, he receives that presented data, and he brings it to God, and he argues it before God on our behalf. You know, if you think about warfare, and certainly all Christians are involved in spiritual warfare in this life, the key to winning a war is command and control. It's communication. And in order to wipe out any army, all you have to do is take control of their communication. So here's our first point for study. Since personal worship is so key and so critical, God makes it so that prayer is the one thing that you can never fail at doing. Now, there's a sense in which you're a good mathematician, or if you are a bad mathematician, but you're working with simple math, you can do it perfectly. I mean, one plus one is two. As long as you come up with two as the answer to one plus one, then you've done that perfectly. So sometimes some of us can, can do math perfectly, but the, the one thing we can do all the time, every time, consistently, perfectly, is pray. And as Christians, we've got a lot of failures. I mean, we fall down all the time. But prayer is something you can never do imperfectly. Why? Because we have a divine person on each end of the line. I mean, they used to sing in the old church that Jesus is on the main line. Tell him what you want. Okay, so there's a divine person. He ensures that the plea is received, that the communication gets through. And even when you don't know what that communication should be, if you have prayed, it gets there straightened out. So you need to listen because the Lord is teaching us all something about prayer. We're going to nail down this topic of worship and look at it as personal worship and our persons and our prayers would both be lost if we had no intercessor. So Jesus Christ, in his capacity as an advocate, opposes the rage of our accuser, Satan. He annuls the effect of our sin. And so the link with heaven is preserved intact 
and guaranteed to be effective when you pray. Now watch, Romans chapter 8, there on your handout. Look at Romans 8, verse 34. I'll prove it to you. Paul asks the question, who is he that condemneth? I mean, he almost takes a flippant attitude about everything that is against us, whether human or inhuman. He says, look, who is he that condemneth? It is Christ that died. If he didn't condemn you, well then, yea, rather, that is risen again, who is even at the right hand of God, who also maketh intercession for us. So when all the world is against you, you've got the avenue of prayer. Christ appears above on our behalf and for us, and the Holy Spirit dwells within, on Christ's behalf, within us. And we, I understand we all live in a body of sin, even after you've been born again. Nothing is going to free you from inbred, inborn weakness and wickedness except either the rapture or the resurrection. So our best aspirations, our most sincere motives, our purest desires, our holiest services are clouded with imperfection. It's like one Puritan author said, I, you know, I need my tears washed in the blood of Jesus. We need an intercessor. So Jesus is at the altar on which our incense is sanctified. We need an intercessor. So Jesus' prayer is full and fervent to overcome the faults and the infirmities in our praying. We need an intercessor. Whenever you're overwhelmed because of dull or distracted or disjointed prayers, remember you have an intercessor, so just pray. Hebrews 4, look at verse 14 on your handout. Seeing then, we have a great high priest that is passed into the heavens, Jesus, the Son of God. Let us hold fast our profession. Verse 16, let us therefore come boldly unto the throne of grace, that we may obtain mercy and find grace to help in time of need. So Jesus as priest continually intercedes. Jesus as our advocate continually pleads. And his work is not to deny our crimes. I mean, he's not our advocate, our lawyer. Like some lawyers you hire, if you pay them money, they're going to deny your crime. Um, that's, that's their job is to argue your innocence uh, on your behalf, even if you are guilty. Well, that's not what Jesus does. He argues his substitution for our penalty because of his finished work. So he doesn't deny God's justice. He claims God's justice since the payment has already been exacted on the cross. So you, that means you can ascend the hill to the throne because prayer involves the whole trinity and you. All of God is involved when you pray. You are praying to your father and father means relationship. So the Holy Spirit operates on our end to give us the ability to do just that. Watch, Romans 8, verse 15 on your handout. For ye have not received the spirit of bondage again to fear. Okay, you don't have to be afraid because you're bound to sin and can't get out of it. Because what you have received is the spirit of adoption. 
whereby, because we have been adopted into the family of God, we're able to cry, Abba, Father. Galatians 4, verse 6, and because ye are sons, God hath sent forth the spirit of his son into your hearts, crying, Abba, Father. So the corruption of your hearts and the strength of the enemy, they both mitigate against this spiritual exercise of you praying and you having a relationship by communication and you worshiping God in prayer. Therefore, Romans 8 verse 26 says this, Likewise, the Spirit also helpeth our infirmities. What is your infirmity? Will you have a mental one? For we know not what we should pray for as we ought. Well, how does the Spirit help that? He helps it because the Spirit itself maketh intercession for us with groanings which cannot be uttered. Now, if they can't be uttered, it's because they don't need to be. You don't have to understand it. You just have the relationship in desperate dependence on God in prayer. So the Holy Spirit is the one who takes and frames your requests, even if you don't know what that request is, and encodes them, Romans 8, 26, and then the Son receives those requests and offers them up to the Father. He decodes them, Romans 8, 34. And the Father accepts them and he answers according to the mind of the Spirit who knows the will of God and according to the merit of Christ who offered up his blood. Jesus. I mean, this is so important. Understanding that. Well, the Holy Spirit should become more necessary to you. I mean, understanding this, Jesus ought to become more precious to you. And crying, Abba, Father, means God is my daddy. That's what the word Abba means. I mean, so he's concerned with me. He is active on my behalf. And therefore, here's our second point for study. The degree to which you perceive that God is your father that is the degree to which you will plead with him successfully. Or to put it another way, the closer you are to your dad, the easier it is to worship him in prayer. But if you do not get along with your human dad, well, then he's not the person you naturally open up to. And if you can't get along with your father, then there's a tension in the relationship and prayer does not produce personal worship. And then that's why all the other liturgical denominations need ceremonies and sacraments and rituals to substitute. I mean, what I'm talking about is what the Puritan writers meant when they used to say, look, you need to pray until you've prayed. Pray until there's the connection. Pray until there's the relationship. Pray until you sense that God has heard. I mean, if there's no relationship, there's even less obligation for him to answer. Now, can I show you that? Can I have you see, before we leave today, how much relationship ties into prayer, which ties into personal worship, so we can nail this topic down and, and move on from here. Uh, turn, if you would, to James chapter 4. James chapter 4. The closer you are to God, the greater dynamic you will have in prayer. In James chapter 4, verse 1, he says, Look, what do you think it is that causes all your fighting? Now, we know from chapter 1, verse 1, that James is actually writing to the scattered Jewish tribes abroad, some of whom would have been Christians, some of whom would have just been Jews. 
And he's writing that before the temple is destroyed. So they had a temple to go to. And yet he's writing to them. Uh, therefore, he's also writing to the Hebrew Christians in the future during the tribulation when the temple will be rebuilt. So we understand that context. And yet, verse 2, even after all that, verse 2 is the greatest analysis of Kansas City's homicide rate in 2020 and 2022 that you will ever read. And no journalist covers it, and it's never in any report, but here it is, verse 2. Ye lust and have not. Ye kill and desire to have. And ye cannot obtain. So what happens? You band together, ye fight in war. So these are universal truths because fightings, verse 1, comes from wanting your own way deep inside and you are having trouble getting it so you get all uppity and you fight for it. But James is concerned mainly about God's people. So in verse 2 he states, Yet ye have not because ye ask not. Ye ask and receive not because ye ask amiss that ye may consume it upon your lust. So the first problem is on my end. I, I don't even think to ask God. I live in a way that boxes God out of my existence. I live as good as, you know, any other lost man could do on a good day. And I don't even think to ask God. The second problem is God, on God's end because sometimes I ask for things I have no business asking for. Wow. Now, do you have a successful relationship with anybody? where every time you go to him and her, you want something from them. I mean, you want something from them. Now that is called, we call that being high maintenance. And after a while, if you are high maintenance, well, they feel, they feel used and taken advantage of. Hello, somebody. So verse four says, you are sharing the friendship which belongs exclusively to God with the world, with the things of the world. Verse 4 says, Know ye not, as if, well, maybe you do not know how flirting with the world puts you on the side of your father's enemies. So the problem with prayer in James 4, verses 1 to 3, is actually a problem of relationship. And this gets us to our third point for study. The reason we struggle in prayer, either with praying or with receiving is primarily because we've not first concerned ourselves with lordship and then relationship. Our first concern has become trying to pray so that we could get what we want or what we think we need instead of trying to relate because God is to be worshipped. Now, if a husband and wife have communication problems, they really have a relationship problem. And a change in the relationship results in the change in the communication. So if we spend as much time relating to God as we do requesting from God, then we will have no problem communicating with God or receiving from God. Savvy? So one of our problems is we relate to God when we want to. Instead of praying without ceasing, instead of giving thanks in all things. So we do what is convenient for us. And then we want him to bless our plans and our activities and our desires. So watch verse 4. Wow, this is James. James is one tough brother. Ye adulterers and adulteresses, know ye not that the friendship of the world is enmity with God? And that is harsh language. And James is all up in your stuff today. 
And if you're going to be friends with the world, he says, look, don't expect a hot meal waiting for you when you get home. Why? Well, this is our fourth point for study, because if you're living a compromised or a compromising life, you can't get all the benefits of prayer. I mean, that's obvious just from the Old Testament, Psalm 66. Look at verse 18. If I regard iniquity in my heart, the Lord will not hear me. I mean, we're, we're all full of sin all the time, but if we are regarding the iniquity, if we're not repenting of the iniquity, if we are secretly nurturing the iniquity, okay, the Lord's not going to hear you. When you get saved, you are espoused to be married to Jesus Christ. So if you want all of him, you've got to surrender all of you holding nothing back. But if you want God just so you can get your will blessed, well, you haven't even prayed yet. You were just saying words. The thing that makes prayer full is, is to have the connection. The thing that makes it dull is to pray without relationship. So when you find that you're not relating to God as a desperate dependent, then there's not much to talk about. Certainly not that he's necessarily interested in. So in our personal worship, we've got to be building on a relationship with God as Abba, Father. We have to be walking with him by his spirit along the way. He has to become what you think about. His word has to be what you read so you get the mind of God in your mind and now this is going to shout you because this is our fifth point for study. A lot of people have trouble relating to God because they could not deal with their daddy. And that is the psychological block to prayer. So they don't understand unconditional love naturally because they never saw it in reality. They do not understand loving discipline because they never experienced discipline like that. But you know, now that you're saved, your life is designed to paint a picture. So as you do personal worship, yes, you, you have to do it formally. He is our Father which art in heaven, but you have to do it casually. He's Abba, my Father. And you remember what the Bible says about Moses. Let me give an illustration. You remember what the Bible says about Moses' prayer life in the tent. When he went into the tent of the congregation, he's... He's in the presence of God. How did Moses speak to God? Look at Exodus 33, verse 11. And the Lord spake unto Moses face to face as a man speaketh unto his friend. So there's that friendship thing again. And not with the world. And when you're talking to a friend, you can be yourself. And when you're talking to a friend, you don't have to fake it. And when you're talking to a friend, you can be open and honest and real it is a safe conversation if they are your friend. Well, God wants to be your father and Jesus wants to be your friend. And I wonder how many of us wish that we had had our dad as our best friend growing up. Because then that means he's not just an authoritarian figure enforcing rules. So God is holy and God is holy other and because he is transcendent, he deserves our adoration, that's worship. And yet that transcendent holy God wants to relate to you as father and as friend. I mean, can you even believe that? He is so 
infinite. He wants to be imminent. He is the God who is there. He is so transcendent in bigness. He wants to be right here up in your business. And that is the same dual relationship that every parent ought to have with their child. So let me just inject you with some power for parenting today. Let me just sprinkle, sprinkle in some parenting stuff for you. Parenting necessitates a relationship of both respect and intimate love. And so does prayer. And if you're not envisioning and acting in relationship to your heavenly father, you will be building a life which is not really based on personal worship and dynamic prayer. And sometimes, you know, when we talk about having devotions and reading the Bible and doing Bible study, it comes out as something that's kind of just letter and not life. And we're getting the structure of it, but not the spirit of it. But you know, if you have the relationship right, it doesn't matter so much how you do it. As a matter of fact, let me help out some of the brothers up in here. Okay, let me help a brother out. You have to spend more money when you don't have a relationship. Okay, I'm just trying to help you out. If you have the relationship right, you know what? You can go on the cheap and it'll be okay. I even got some of my ladies shaking their head yes at me. <laughs> because the important thing is being together, not necessarily having an expensive program. So what God wants for personal worship is a relationship in prayer. And this is our sixth point for study. Relationship in personal worship means that you do not share the love that belongs to God with anyone else. So James says the tragedy is, verse 4, whosoever therefore will be a friend of the world is the enemy of God. Now we've got to be in the world, but not of the world, in order to get the gospel to the world. But Paul also says in Romans 8, verse 7, the carnal mind, the carnal mind, the old man, not the new man that you are when you got saved, but the old man that you may still try and go back to, well, that carnal mind is enmity against God, for it is not subject to the law of God, neither indeed can be. I mean, how many lawless, ungodly things come into our mind every day? And Paul says, look, you've got to arrest those thoughts. You've got to bring them into captivity to Christ. You've got to put it all under Christ, all under his blood. So let me hit you with this definition so we're clear on exactly what I mean by the world, what the Bible means when it says friends of the world. The world is that system headed by Satan which boxes God out. I mean, the devil's not necessarily about devil worship. I'm, I'm sure he's glad to get that. But if he can get you to box God out, he's made his day. God does not want you befriending anything that hates him. So we snuggle up to the world and then we think that, you know, we can, we can love the world and, and love something God hates and God's going to be okay with that. So another way of saying our sixth point is this, relationship and personal worship demands total commitment. When you say, let us pray, does God say, oh no, here it goes again. Does God take out his iPhone, start scrolling through stuff? After you, I mean, he kind of knows what you're going to ask for anyway. You say the same thing every time. And, uh, you know, it's kind of unrelated necessarily into anything he's trying to do in your life or the picture he wants you to paint uh, in front of other people. 
So, so the good news is that if we have a relationship with God, we can plead with him about anything. And that brings us into personal worship. I mean, it brings us into personal worship because through the Holy Spirit and through the scriptures, God talks back to you. Do you have a relationship or only when you want something? Let me show you how deep this goes from Mark chapter 12. Mark 12, Jesus says, and thou shalt love the Lord thy God with all thy heart, all thy soul, all thy mind, with all thy strength. This is the first commandment, first by way of priority, because this is the royal law that rules all the rest of them. Forget about the rest if you ain't doing this one. And you got to do it with all your heart because your emotions have to love God. And it's got to be with all your soul because your psyche needs to love God. And it's got to be with all your mind because your thought processes have to submit to God. And it's got to be with all your strength because all your energy has to be to love God. Now, that's everything that you are. And that means there is no room for anything else but this love. And I know that sounds as bad as when Jesus said that if you're going to follow me, you've got to hate mother and father. you got to hate your, if you are not willing to hate your family, you can't follow me. Well, I know that sounds tough, but the thing you got to understand is this is so beautiful because if you will love God in this way and exclusive of anything else, then everything you contact is touched by that same love. So if you want to love your spouse the best, and if you want to love your children the best, and you want to love your family and your friends the best, then you're going to love God this way. And then when you touch them, it is touched by that same love. And that is why love is the greatest proof of Christianity. So notice how God feels on this in verse 5. Do you think that the scripture saith in vain... The spirit that dwelleth in us lusteth to envy. See, that's why we got to pay attention to this. So what, good, what does God give us to help us overcome that? Verse 6, but he giveth us, he giveth more grace. Wherefore he saith, God resisteth the proud, but giveth grace unto the humble. That's how you get that grace. So God gives grace to the person who humbles himself, verse 10, and instead of lusting, continuing to lust to envy, he follows verse 7, so be humble or you will stumble. Humility is afflicting to your spirit. I understand that. But it's pride to try and live independently of God. And it's pride to try and live apart from God's purpose for your life for eternity. It is pride to try and live apart from God's provision for you and to lust to envy other stuff. It is pride to try and live without fulfilling God's mission. Not only does God get jealous, but he actively opposes you. And this is our final point for study. God will work against you sometimes in order to be able to work for you. And you understand that if you're a parent because you have to do this sometime with your kids. You have to say no and you have to oppose them and you have to stick to it in order to help them. And so what should be our response as regards personal worship? Well, we watch the power of Satan that he can have in your unsubmitted life, verse 5. We see the principle that overcomes that power if you are humble, verse 6. And that leads us to the practice which is going to help you produce the humility in prayer that leads to worship. Verses 7, 8, and 9. Look at verse 7. 
Submit yourselves, therefore, to God. Resist the devil, and he'll flee from you. Place yourself under God's control first, then say no to the devil, and it'll stick. I mean, the devil's for sure going to show up. So you've got to consistently, you've got to steadfastly submit to God and say first, and then say no to him. Now, why will that set him running? Because if your consistent response every single time that he shows up in your life, he shows up to you, if your consistent response is to go to God and worship, he'll stop showing up so much. Because he's not about making you worship God. And so when you submit to God first, then tell him no. He goes on his way. So watch, watch, verse, verse 8. Draw nigh to God, and he will draw nigh to you. And yes, you drew as nigh to God as you will get when you got saved. But we're talking about fellowship here. So we're talking about relationship after salvation. We're talking about worship. So get your heart busy with God, and he'll get busy with you. Get involved with God, he'll be involved with you. Participate with God, he will participate with you. Get working for God, and he will go to work for you. You know why he'll draw near to you in renewed fellowship? Well, it's because he hadn't moved, but you need to come back to him. So God is not playing on you. You are playing on him. So, verse 8, cleanse your hands, ye sinners, and purify your hearts, ye double-minded. And yes, you got your heart purified by faith, Acts 15, 9, but you still need to confess in order to cleanse your conscience from all unrighteousness, 1 John 1, 9. You still need to cleanse yourself from all filthiness of the flesh and spirit by perfecting your holiness, 2 Corinthians 7, 1. So stop going two ways at once. Quit dabbling in sin. Quit playing the field on God. Hit rock bottom and cry out to God. I mean, as long as God is your bedrock, as long as your God is your bottom line, as long as Jesus is your bottom line, you don't have to be afraid of hitting rock bottom. Sometimes that's the best place you can be because the only way to get on your feet is to hit your knees. That is prayer, real prayer, personal worship. So verse nine, be afflicted and mourn and weep. Let your laughter be turned to mourning and your joy to heaviness. And yes, there is a, I mean, James is writing to a certain group of people, which actually are not us exactly. And there will be the fact that the Jews will be saved in the tribulation when they look upon him whom they have pierced and mourn for him, Zechariah 12.10. They that mourn will be blessed, for they shall be comforted, Matthew 5.4. Blessed are the pure in heart, Matthew 5.8, for they shall see God. But have you ever cried because you wanted to be closer to God? Does it bother you? that God is not on your mind and the Bible is not in your life the way it used to be. No affliction, no affirmation, no mourning, no elevation, no weeping, no re relieving, no heaviness, no help. Verse 10, humble yourselves in the sight of the Lord and he shall lift you up. And yes, James's audience is a 12 tribes scattered abroad, but that is a general principle right there, which is true just as it stands. I mean, this is back to the basics. I mean, this nails it down. Personal worship starts with your prayer. And prayer develops your relationship with God. 
And you say, Alan, but I don't know a lot. Wait, hold it. You don't have to know anything. I mean, I started this off today showing you how the Holy Spirit will speak what you do not know. And then Jesus will interpret everything you misunderstand. As long as you say, just like Jesus did at the end of his prayer, nevertheless, not my will, but thine be done. Isaiah 66, verse 2, For all these things hath mine hand made, and all those things hath been, saith the Lord. But to this man will I look, even to him that is poor and of a contrite spirit, and trembleth at my word. Do not resist God today. Resist the devil. Personal worship and prayer go together. Prayer and relationship go together relationship and lordship go together and lordship and fellowship go together and and a dynamic prayer life is what leads to a dynamic relationship which will produce dynamic worship and then you will be able to paint the picture with your life that God wants to put out in front of others but the weaker the relationship the weaker the prayer the weaker the worship My time is up. I thank you for yours. Every head bowed, every eye closed. Let me tell you something about your heart. Uh, Let's say that, uh, let's say that today, let's say this Sunday, you're uh, watching uh, the Chiefs game uh, here this afternoon and you've got a pet in the house and the pet is on your lap and your spouse is in the kitchen. So the pet is on your lap, your spouse is in the kitchen, you're watching the Chiefs game. But if you are not closer to your spouse than you are to your pet, then something is wrong with your heart. Do you give the attention to God that you even do to your pet? Do you give the submission to Christ that he deserves as Lord? Have you humbled yourself by submitting to Jesus' lordship and accepting his sacrifice for your own salvation? Isn't that what you want? Don't you want to be saved? I mean, do you not want eternal life? Life after death, wouldn't you like to leave here today not scared of death anymore because God has promised you something and Jesus promises if you trust in him, he gives you everlasting life. You can have that now. You can have it today. You can have it this morning. You can believe and receive and you can trust him right at this moment. Oh, it's not about name it and claim it. That takes, that takes spotlight off of what it ought to be on. It's about believe and receive. Just say, God, all you've asked me to do is to believe on your son. He died for my sins on the cross and all the work to be close to you and accepted by you is finished because he did it. So I trust Jesus today for the everlasting life that he promises me. Here, Jesus, I give you my life. God, make me born again right now in Jesus' name. Amen. Go ahead and stand if you would. We're going to ask the uh, praise team to send us out singing today. If you prayed and you trusted Jesus for eternal life, come up and let us know. Either do that right now.